Welcome back to Women in Product Marketing. This is the second episode of season three, and we're keeping the awesome momentum going with Kim Kaminsky, the Global Vice President of Marketing at Amplitude. Kim and I discuss what it takes to be a successful VP of marketing, including the steps she took leading up to this opportunity, how she is approaching her 90-day plan, and how curiosity and an eagerness to learn have aided her in the acceleration of her amazing career. Thank you so much to the Women in Product Marketing community for the wonderful support. We couldn't do any of this without you. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan from Adobe, and I'm here today with the amazing Kim Kaminsky, the new Global VP of Marketing at Amplitude. Kim has had a storied career in tech and tech marketing and has built her foundation with product marketing. Kim, thanks so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Hi, Mary. Thanks so much for the opportunity to chat with you today. Really looking forward to a great conversation. Me too. And let's start off with one question that I've been starting off with this season, which is what is something that you are truly proud of? Well, I would say there's two parts to that answer. One is personal. And I would say on the personal front, I'm really proud of the fact that I have four grown daughters, two daughters and two bonus daughters that have really become very strong, confident and purpose-driven women. And hopefully I've played a part in that. And then on the professional front, I'm excited about building a following around servant leadership. So I've worked really hard over the last several years to focus on servant leadership and have really tried to cultivate that within my peer group and and people that I work with. Well, I love both of those. Thanks so much for sharing how you're such a great role model to four daughters. I have a daughter on the way. So always thinking about that, (laughs) thinking about the ways that we can all be great role models for the the next generation of women. So that's amazing to hear. And tell me more about servant leadership. I'm not familiar with the term. I was fortunate several years ago in my career to receive some executive coaching by a gentleman whose name is Phil Johnson. And he wrote a book called Servant Warrior Leadership and has a whole curriculum around this topic. Lately, it's been leaning more towards servant leadership, but essentially it's around the the concept that as a leader, you are more focused on serving your people versus being, you know, the traditional boss where people work for you. So I look at my responsibility as a leader as helping other people succeed. And I really enjoy having my team out front versus being out front myself. So everything is really about focused on being focused on helping other people succeed and achieve their objectives. And it's not just people that work for me, but other people that work with me. And that ties into the kind of winning as a team spirit as well. That is an amazing perspective. Thanks so much for sharing that. I'll have to look that book up too. That's sure. Great. Yeah. It's, it's called servant warrior leader. It's a little bit older of a document, but I like it because it's very easy to read and has real short chapters that have very useful topics that you can apply immediately in your day-to-day life. I'll check it out. Thank you so sure. much. 
And congratulations on the new role. So you're Thank now the you. VP of global marketing at Amplitude. I'd love to hear more about the role, about Amplitude, all the things that you're doing there. Well, thank you. I could not be more excited. I am in week seven at Amplitude and Amplitude is pioneering a new space called digital optimization. And if you think about how over the last decade or so, companies have spent a lot of time on digitally transforming their businesses by becoming digital first, digital optimization is a new era where now these digital transformers and digital veterans are really using product analytics to understand customer behavior. So it's really the alignment of product and marketing and sales working together in this convergence of not just looking at traditional marketing analytics as to how customers engage with you, but really looking using product analytics to understand how customers are using your product, which is essential if your digital product is your business, right? If you think about getting your customers, that's one part of it, but it's really about getting your customers, knowing your customers and growing your customers and, and keeping them, right? And if you're a digital product, such as let's talk Twitter or Peloton or PayPal, the product is the business. So really using product analytics to optimize your business because you've already transformed it. You're a digital transformer or you're a digital veteran, you're a digital native product. Does that make sense? That does. I love that. Yeah, I've always been wondering what's next after digital transformation. A lot of different companies are on different paths along that journey, and some are certainly more farther yeah. along than others. So that's awesome to think about that next step and actually yeah. optimizing using the product analytics, using everything you know about your customer and their behavior to drive business forward. That's Yeah, this is, this is like the next step in really being successful in digital transformation is to taking it to the next level, level of optimization. That's fantastic. And what's your purview as the VP of global marketing? Can you talk a little bit about the teams that you manage and that you represent and maybe even who you're interfacing with at your level? Sure. So within marketing and Amplitude, we have our CMO, who's Jennifer Johnson, who goes by JJ. And uh, I will say that one of the primary reasons I came to Amplitude was to work with JJ. She's been a four-time CMO and is a category creator. And I'm just really excited to have the opportunity to learn from her and work side-by-side -side with her and the team that she is building. Uh, so there's really three pillars in marketing. There is corporate marketing, which is all about the brand, creative, PR, corporate communications, employee communications. And then there is uh, product and solutions marketing. And that encompasses industry and things like analyst relations in addition to product and solutions marketing. And then there's demand marketing, which is my team. And so demand marketing is field marketing, partner marketing, digital, web, marketing operations, and campaigns. And so we are all peers. And I think of us as the three-legged stool of marketing with the customer in the center. And it's a very close-knit relationship. And it's super exciting because many of the people in marketing and Amplitude are new since the company is, is growing so quickly and transforming itself so quickly. So it's great to be part of not only a, a new team, but a, a company that is on such a fast trajectory and helping them really think about how they reach you know, that next level, which is for us a billion dollars. That's so amazing. Yeah. Well, I've always been a fan of Amplitude's marketing. I've been to many of your conferences back in the day and 
now with you at the helm, I can't wait to see what you accomplish. It's so Thanks. awesome. Thanks so much. It's a really exciting opportunity. And now, as you've described in this role, you're really wearing a lot of hats. And over the course of your career, you've dabbled in product marketing, it looks like solutions marketing, obviously more general marketing, demand gen. How have you approached your career to become the VP of marketing? What were some of the, the steps that you took to get to this level? Well, I started my career in marketing communications and my background really was in writing and, and creative. So it was more on the creative side of marketing. But I think the advantage that that brought is in order to be a creative person and a storyteller, essentially, you have to know how to ask the right questions and it requires you to really dig deep and learn about the business. And once I kind of realized that Staying curious and being curious really helped me as a marketer. I took that to the next level to really understand how being a successful marketer requires you to understand the business at a very deep level. And early in my career, I was fortunate to spend a pretty good amount of time at a company called CA Technologies, which has now been acquired by a company called Broadcom. But in that role, I was where I was able to wear a lot of different hats. And that gave me the opportunity. And I think that's one of the great things about working in a larger company is quite often you do get to wear many hats. And that's where I really was able to experience what it was like to be in product management, product marketing. And then a big step for me was moving into field marketing at a time when demand gen was really coming into the forefront. And we built a, a really big field marketing team. And I actually was working side by side with sales. And I think that's one of the best experiences that a marketer can have is working in or with a sales function, because that's where you really get the street level insight of what it takes to market and sell products. So that has been that curiosity and the willingness to try new things as a marketer and not be afraid to take new challenges. In fact, at ServiceNow, at one point, the CMO asked me to lead the sales development organization, which was an amazing one-year journey, which gave me a whole new perspective of how the sales development role was a critical bridge, if you will, between sales and marketing to connect the demand funnel, if you will. And so just staying curious and being willing to try new things, I think is very key. If your CMO or a leader comes to you and says, hey, I need you to try this, you should say yes and take That's it, even if it's a little scary. That's such wonderful advice. And I love how at the beginning too, you talked about creativity and understanding the business in the same breath. I think that a lot of people that are not in the know of marketing think it's kind of one or the other, that it's really analytics driven, really, you know, kind of technical and the numbers, or it's this creativity overdrive, but you have shown that a career with both can be very successful. So I really appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And when you look at even like the people in agencies who are highly creative, they know how to ask great questions and they really dig deeply to understand the business because that's where the great story comes out. And it's all about the customer, right? And that's where you create that emotional connection with the customer by telling a story or creating a narrative that helps the customer have that aha moment. So know? it's more than just the brief, ask those questions, be curious, go deep with the sure. business and you'll have better results. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. 
And I'm so curious to quote that word from you to understand how your recent seven weeks have been. So you have just joined Amplitude at a really interesting and exciting time. They've just recently IPO'd. We're also still somewhat in the middle of the pandemic. So I was wondering how you approached the interview process and how you started to get up to speed quickly. Well, as it relates to the interview process, I approached it just as I would if I was in person. I think we as interviewees have an opportunity to come in and try to create that connection as best as we can to help the interviewer get to know us on a level that goes beyond just asking questions, the standard questions. And so I approach it just as I would being face-to-face. I dressed up, I got prepared, I did my homework, I was ready. I researched the people that I was interviewing with in the case of Amplitude, that was the entire executive leadership team, including the CEO. And it's all about being prepared and really showing up. But I think the other thing is with Zoom, there's a next level of what I would say charisma that you almost have to bring to the table because you don't have that energy that you get from being in a room with someone. So you have to go a little bit, not overboard, but you have to reach in a little bit more. And I read an article before I started the interview process that was talking about this element of, do you have the charisma that you need on Zoom? And it really is the preparedness of setting up the space, making sure that, you know, what's in the background is what you want people to see. Where's your camera position? Are you looking in the camera And, and having a really good conversation? And I like to go the extra mile and help that interviewer be more at ease. Because I think we've all been on the flip side of that, right? And being the interviewer is sometimes hard. And so what can I do as the candidate to bring that extra something special to the process? Fantastic advice. And I might I say your background is phenomenal. I also have heard of hairstyling tips for Zoom and all kinds of rabbit holes you can go down. But I do think you have this element of showing up and being a little more energetic that right. you might be in person. And I think those are all really good tips. And also the preparedness. I think even if you're moving internally, treat it like you would treat any other interview, research, use LinkedIn, read about the company, find out ways that you could be creative and innovative and, and add value to that interview besides just kind of checking the box. So those are all really good pieces of yeah, advice. I absolutely agree. And I do agree that you can maybe go a little bit overboard. It's a blend of kind of bringing your authentic self, but also giving it something a little bit extra to make it more memorable. Because especially in tech right now, as you know, it's called the great resignation. Yeah, there's yeah. so many candidates out there, right? And so it becomes a little bit more critical to figure out what I can do to just give it that little something extra that makes me stand out and be memorable. That's such a good point. Yeah, I'm calling it goldfish memory with everything we're doing internally. <laughs> right. You can stand out from the pack right. and, and not yeah. have people forget you once you've stepped away from the camera. I think that's a win. Yeah. What about the onboarding? So seeing as you've been there about seven weeks, you must've gotten in right before the IPO. What was that like, first of all, on the fun side, and then how did you (laughs) onboard and get to know the team? Well, on the fun side, the company really, really did a lot of special things to make the entire company feel part of the process. 
uh, a core group of people were in New York at the NASDAQ Center to ring the bell and open trading, which was very cool. But all of us in the Bay Area got to go to the NASDAQ Center in San Francisco. And they had a huge life-size wall, which was a real-time feed of our team in New York. So it was like we were there because we got to experience it. So we all showed up at five in the morning and they had COVID testing on site and a nice breakfast for us and a lot of shirts and goodies and mimosas. And it was a great celebration. That's um, so fun. It was a lot of fun. And we stayed and, and watched them ring the bell and open trading. That was very exciting. And then on October 1st, they had an all company party down in San Francisco at Pier 27. It was very, very well managed though, that you were required to bring a same day rapid test mm. or get tested on site. So they had full testing on site had to bring your vaccination card. And most of the event was outside or in kind of a big, Pier 27 is like a, a cruise terminal. So big open space, lots of fresh air and a lot of it outside over the water. So very beautiful. And it was just really exciting as a new employee, not only to meet the whole executive team in person, but to be a part of that special event. And now it is what's next, right? Mm -hmm. We're already onto what's next. Okay, what do we have to do as a company in 2022? And in our planning process. And so I mean, in many ways, it feels like I've almost been here seven months already, but I, it's in a good way because things are very well organized, very planful. And the leadership team has really painted a very clear vision and strategy for where we need to go next. That's amazing. Well, you seem very fortunate that you were able to get to know some people during this really high energy moment. I'm sure that yes. was really fun to get to connect with people. After the confetti fell and after the party was over, right. is there anything that you did that you felt helped you get to know the folks you were working with and start to jump into that planning process? I know still, even though we've been in this over a year and a half now, I think the virtual connection, it, there's still pointers to be learned about that. Is, is there anything that you did, even one-on-one -on -one meetings or shadowing or anything like that that you feel like helped you onboard really quickly? Yes, I typically take the same approach or I have taken the same approach when I have started new roles for the last couple of roles. I put together a list of people that I want to meet in the first 30 days. I try to meet at least one person every day for the first 30 days. And when I came in, I vetted that list with the people on my team and also my boss, the CMO, JJ, and made sure that I had the right target list of initial people that I should talk to and listen to get that 360 degree view of the business and really identify in the first month what were not only the low hanging fruit opportunities where I could come in and make an impact but to guide the strategic prioritization of what the team needed to do for this next quarter and as we plan into 2022. So that really gave me the insight into the key priorities of business, where some of the pain points are, understanding, just really getting the lay of the land of the business. And it's really always a balancing act of spending that time getting to know people and it really understanding the business as well. So not just getting to know all the right people, but learning the technology, studying up as much as you can, and then spending time in meetings and then sitting and thinking about what you're digesting on a day-to-day -day basis to kind of form the basis of your recommendations of what happens going forward. The framework is actually out of a really great book 
called The First 90 Days for New Leaders by Michael Watkins. And the concept is how can you bring as much value as possible to the business in the first 90 days? I love that book and I am a proponent of it as well. And I think two things stand out for me from what you said about it too, which is listening and learning, not coming in with your sledgehammer to mix everything up. It's understanding the people, the historical context, what's working, what's not. So that is fantastic advice that you gave. I I like the approach of one person every day, just making that muscle work and, and making sure that it's part of your job and also betting the list to make sure you're getting to talk to those right people in the first 30 days. That's fabulous. Yes. And you made a great point, Mary, around many leaders. I think there, it is natural to want to come in and make sure that you make an impact, but it's always that blend of making sure it's an informed impact versus coming in and trying to influence your own agenda without the right insight, which could be tantamount to disaster. It could backfire in a big way. So absolutely. Yeah. I try to set expectations too, and say, give me 30 days, give me 90 days before right. I make those, ex- those big, those big sweeping changes just so they right. need to. Yeah. Now I'd love to talk about one of your specialties, which over the years has been around scaling teams. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about how you approach that? I think the goal of scaling is set by the strategic direction of the business and by the leadership team, right? So you're not scaling for the sake of building out, you're scaling to support the needs of the business. And I think uh, a lot of it can be very formulaic, particularly in the area of demand gen, right? There's models that we can use to understand, you know, what in in the case of demand gen, typically there's a, a contribution that marketing makes to the pipeline. So you think about what resources do I need based on the yield that I'm supposed to generate, what do I need in terms of people and program resources? So part of it is the science of working with either your marketing ops team, sales ops. In our case, we have a blended rev ops function, which is really cool where it's marketing and sales ops working together to really look at the holistic picture of the business and what is needed in terms of sales and marketing and partner contribution to the business. And the other part of it is just really then understanding what kinds of resources you need to support that model. And again, it's a little bit of science, but it's one of my favorite things is building teams and figuring out not only what types of talent we need to do the work, but what levels of talent we need. And then setting up the team so that there is a succession model and there's career progression built in as well. Many companies in tech today are growing so quickly that it's easy to get over-rotated on the higher end talent at like the director and senior director level. But it's also about being conscious of having some of those early and career people that you can grow and mentor so that as the organization scales and those more senior people move on to other roles, you have people that are ready to step into a succession model because they've grown up with the team as it scales. Such a good point. And you're kind of future-proofing your team and your business in that way. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like that could be applied, the formulaic model that you mentioned could be applied to product marketing too. We're often owners of revenue or tied to the growth areas of the business too. So just kind of tying it back to women in product marketing, a lot of the listeners are in demand gen too, but on the product right. marketing side, I think that's a really good way to go. Follow the, the business leaders, follow the decisions that the company is making 
rather than chasing a new and shiny thing. Think about how the business will be progressing in the next year or plus and and yeah. build it out from there. Absolutely. And I mean, every product marketing leader and team that I've ever worked with has always been accountable for the pipeline. They might not own it in terms of having a number on their heads, but the spirit is there that when you think about product marketing, being the intersection of so many functions within the marketing organization. Our team can't succeed without our product marketing team setting that strategic direction, setting the messaging direction, helping us understand the bio personas, really you know, painting the picture of competitive advantage and all of those things. I've never worked with a product marketer that doesn't have a vision for what the goals of the business are, even if they don't have that quote unquote number on their head. Definitely. And I'd love to now shift a little bit to your experience being a woman in tech, being a woman in business throughout your amazing career. Can you share a little bit about what you think is unique about being a a woman in tech compared to maybe some of our male counterparts and some experiences that they might not have had? Sure. Well, I think there's a a lot of current research that is still out there today that we as women have a ways to go in terms of pay equity and leadership opportunity. There's a a group at Stanford University that continues to do some really good research and supports many companies in Silicon Valley. When I was at ServiceNow, we had them come and speak to us and ServiceNow was doing a lot of benchmarking around women in leadership and setting some good goals in terms of benchmarking with their peer organizations in the Valley. And we still have a ways to go to get to that level of job opportunity, women in leadership opportunity, and pay equity. And so women intentionally work harder at networking and forming peer groups, doing things like what we're doing today, which is just an incredible opportunity to know each other and to support each other and to help build those peer alliances and find those opportunities. I can honestly say when when you asked me the question earlier, I'm not sure that I see men really intentionally doing that as much as we do. And I don't necessarily think they need to do it as much as we do, but I'm really glad that we do, especially in the last five years or so, since I've been in Silicon Valley, it's been really rewarding to meet so many like-minded women who are so committed to helping each other be successful and find opportunities and continue sharing and learning and benefiting from each other's networks. That's fantastic. Yes, I totally agree. It's it's really great to have the support networks and even podcasts like this that help connect amazing women. So I appreciate yes, you mentioning that. Yes. And on the pay equity side, recently I posted about asking your friends and colleagues what they make for their salary. And it's such an uncomfortable conversation, but I have realized in my career, every time I have that conversation with a friend in the industry, or even someone that I'm working with, one of us realizes we are being shortchanged. So I think it's something that's important to keep talking about, keep breaking the comfort level. I know a lot of companies like Adobe are doing a lot to make sure that pay equity is there. 
But I just think it's something we need to be talking about more. And I, I don't think our male counterparts are as shy, I would guess. So <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I just had this conversation with my best friend this morning. And oh I, my gosh, great. Yeah, and I think it's all in context, right? Because a lot of it depends on the size of company, the type of company, and really what is meaningful you for meaningful to you as a professional in terms of what you're looking for. But I absolutely agree that in order to keep the conversation going and to drive change, particularly for women in leadership, it is critical that we keep the conversation going and not be afraid to share those things with each other and to take it in the context of its being helpful and having the agreement, the unspoken agreement that it's not going to be used against you in any way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just think it's funny when you step back and think about why would I not talk about this? I think we've all been brainwashed a little bit to think, oh, you're not allowed to talk about this, or this is something that is really taboo. But yes, with the understanding in a safe, trusted space and thinking about it contextually and thinking about your whole package, frankly, too, you know, it's not just about the number that you receive in your paycheck every week, but all of those things considered, I still think it's worth the conversation. So I'm glad you and your bestie talked about it even today. (laughs) And I agree. And I work with an executive coach and we had a session all about this and you really have to detach your value, your ultimate value from the money that you make, right? And that conversation was a very interesting session. And once I could get my head around that, it made it a lot easier to think about, well, if someone's making more than me, that doesn't mean they're more valuable. It just means they make more money and their company is willing to pay it. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. If you're feeling the, the green monster a little envy <laughs> right. that way after the right. conversation or find a job that will pay you that <laughs> you feel your value is being under undervalued. <laughs> that's right. It's a data point, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, great. Well, now I'd love to move into the rapid fire questions. And so the first one is who have been your strongest marketing or even product marketing mentors over the years? Great question. So from a product marketing perspective, there's a couple people that come to mind. One of them is her name is Rita Patel Jackson. She is currently the VP of product marketing at MuleSoft and interim CMO. And she and I have been peers and friends for many years. We work together at Platinum Technology and CA Technologies. She continues to inspire me because she really pushes the envelope and has been a highly regarded woman in, woman in leadership for many years. A couple of other people, Joanne Moretti as a longtime friend and peer, a gentleman named Shane Jackson, who I worked with at ServiceNow, who really took the company to growth beyond a billion dollars. And then from a general marketing perspective, and, and also I have to mention John Hurley, who's the head of product marketing at Amplitude. I'm just learning so much from working with him. And then from just a general marketing perspective, Dan Rogers was the CMO at ServiceNow who brought me into the company and I continued to be mentored by him. And I mentioned JJ Johnson, Jennifer Johnson, who's the CMO at Amplitude. She was one of the main reasons that I came to work for the company. So I have been so blessed to have so many great peers and leaders in marketing and product marketing over the years. And now I get to know you as well. Oh, that is so flattering. (laughs) And it was vice versa. I would would say the same thing. I've been thinking lately of the mentors in my life as kind of a board, 
you know, a board of trustees that I go to for various things. So I might not have a mentor every week or even every quarter, but you have your people that you trust to come to with these harder decisions or life changes or just to bounce ideas off of. So I love that you have several from your career that you have made this connection with. And it sounds like you have worked with most of them and that's how you forged that original relationship to actually build that mentorship out. Is that right? Or are there other ways that you would think about finding mentors in your life? Those are mentors with whom I've worked over the years. Absolutely. But I think to the question of finding a mentor, you made a great point that it's natural to have mentors for different objectives that you want to address and throughout different stages in your career, and maybe even have different mentors at the same time. I love the idea of like the power of 10 at ServiceNow. We we also had these power of 10 groups, which were very interactive. And it, it is like having your own board of directors. I love that concept as well. But I think it's all about leveraging your network connections as well, right? We're better to start than people that you know and trust and make sure that it's someone that you can trust as well. I always think about if it's someone that is a trusted advisor to somebody else, can I also make that connection with that person? And if that isn't the right person, maybe they know someone with whom I can work on a you know particular goal. Those are really great points. And I know we talked about this a bit earlier, but if you could boil it down, what are the most important one or two things that have been critical to you growing your career? Curiosity and growth mindset. Staying curious, even when situations aren't going the way you think that they should go, how can you take a step back and be really curious and non-judgmental. And it's really easy, especially when things aren't going the way you want them to go, whether it's career transition or a project at work, or maybe you're not getting along with someone at work. How can you step back and have that sense of curiosity and non-judgmental perspective? And then the growth mindset is just always keep learning in particular in marketing. If you think about like, I was just reading an article today on the eras of marketing and going all the way back to the industrial revolution. And if you look back on that and think about where marketing has been and where we are today, it's mind blowing, right? And so that growth mindset, we have such an opportunity as marketers and tech marketers to learn so much. Where can we go from here? Is what's around the corner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I mean, what's it worth going to work every day if you're not going to be learning something new? So I love that you have really embodied that throughout your career. That's amazing. That's right. What about networking? I know that's an odd one with this virtual world we're in right now, but is that something you practice on a normal basis? Is that something you focus on? I like to network on LinkedIn. I do like virtual networking more than face-to-face. And when we were all face-to-face, I never really enjoyed the face-to-face big networking events because I am a bit of an introvert. And so while I find it really easy to have conversations like these, or even in small groups, 
the idea of being in a big setting and having to walk up to someone and introduce myself and have small talk is just terrifying to me. So I like virtual networking and I really love LinkedIn for that reason, because if you are really intentional with it and set aside a little bit of time every week to try to not only reach out to people to kind of understand where they are, but to really intentionally give back. And then I've also tried to do a little bit of writing and collaborating on LinkedIn as well. So it's a great way to stay connected with people and also find ways to give back. That is great advice. I just got anxiety thinking about going to a huge networking event where you're just standing by your table, really interested in your glass of wine because you're intimidated to go up to another group of people. So it's going to be very odd when that happens. Maybe we can have little placards that say, I'm an introvert. Come talk to me or something. (laughs) Or LinkedIn someone to meet you at the event. I don't know. It's going to be very weird to go back. So are you saying you're an introvert as well? (laughs) I am. I am kind of cuspy. But as I'm getting on in the years, I'm becoming more of an introvert. So it's, yeah, and I get really overwhelmed at those kinds of events. In fact, I've yet to meet someone that's really excited about those kinds of events. So I don't know if we should keep doing them. The small group approach, I think, works a lot better. You get a lot more out of that, too. I agree. I agree. And thanks for sharing that. Yes, absolutely. And when you do network or when you are, you know, you have a relationship with someone, how are you connecting and sharing with those? Most of the time it's by phone or Mm -hmm. or Zoom like this. So for example, when a recruiter reaches out to me or somebody has an opportunity at their company, I feel like it's important to spend some time to understand how I can help them. Typically it happens through just a phone call or a Zoom. We have had a couple of face-to-face one-on-one meetings over the last couple of months where it makes sense. Again, in small groups or just one-to-one, but I like to kick it old school and just pick up the phone and talk to people. Call me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like that. You have to remind people sometimes it is a phone and it does still work. It can ring. Yeah, it's a little more effective than a text sometimes. That's right. (laughs) Love it. And I know that you've done many marketing roles, worn many marketing hats in your career, but why product marketing? What do you find interesting about that? Well, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but it really is the epicenter of the business. If you think about it, like there's two roles that I think are so critical. All of marketing is interesting and fun and I love it. But if if I think about two roles, product and field marketing, and I actually wrote a post on this a couple of years ago about product marketing and field marketing being like the headlights of the business, product marketing is so accountable for knowing the market, knowing the customers, knowing the competition, all of those things are core to what marketing needs to do. And when I think about marketing without a product marketing function, just those three things, then if you think about how product marketing has really evolved to be more solutions and portfolio focused, and really now is even the owner of the industry strategy and helping sales sell more effectively, they have so much accountability that is so foundational to the success of both the marketing and sales strategy. And then you combine that with the fact that they are the people that are typically the ones who are side by side with the product function. There's a lot on their shoulders and the really good product marketers that I've worked with, the ones that I talked about earlier are all highly creative, highly analytical, highly business focused, highly articulate. They speak at conferences. These are kind of superpower people, right? 
And it, it's just such an exciting role to have, but it's also such a great learning opportunity for people in other functions in marketing to really partner with the product marketing team. And as I mentioned, I, I can't imagine not being in a close relationship with the product marketing leadership and the product marketing team and, and just driving the marketing strategy together with them. That is a great point. Yeah, there's a lot happening foundationally with product marketing and staying connected to them is always great. As I'm learning actually in my new role too, I'm, I'm more on the campaign side. So yeah. never far from product marketing. Well, last question for you. How did you get to where you are? How did I get to where I am? Well, I think, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So I've been really, really fortunate in my career to work for some great leaders who at times saw potential that maybe I didn't see and took a chance on me and gave me opportunity to lead early in my career. But I also think it has a lot to do with always being prepared. And I'm just generally that type of person that I take my craft very seriously and I take my work seriously. I think I got the work ethic from my mom, but it's all about knowing your craft, loving your craft. And, and if you don't love your craft, find a new craft, but if you love your craft, give it your best and be prepared and take it seriously and just show up every day, ready to think about what kind of problem you're going to solve on that day. And then I think if you get yourself in a good situation where you're prepared and you have great leadership that sees the value in you, it's a really win-win situation. Well, that was very inspirational. And this whole chat has been so Kim, what a pleasure. It was so nice having you in the show. I love all of your advice and it's just been amazing to get to know you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Mary. I've really enjoyed this time together. Fantastic. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, HighSpot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. That wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe and share Women in Product Marketing with someone you think will love it. Next week, I speak with Amy Gunnell, the VP Product Marketing at Tremor Video on gamifying your product marketing career. Thank you so much for all of your support and catch you next week.